Hey everyone, welcome to this latest episode of the podcast. The guest this week is Mr. Chris Van Houten. A teacher and researcher, Chris Van Houten started his career in 1983 as a technician in a rental company, like most technicians in that period. Before that, he was active in school and youth theater. He became a stage manager through training on the floor and self-study and toured with many companies throughout Europe. Van Houten expanded his field of activity with teaching and consultancy in the field of stage techniques. He also advised on the preparation of the professional profiles and standards of podium technique, professional qualifications, safety policy, training policy, and the startup of various TSO schools and VDAB programs. His specializations are lighting, production, and special effects. He can be found teaching at the Royal Institute for Theater and Cinema Studies, Sabatini Antwerp, and Commedia Drama Wida in Morocco, three courses he co-founded. Van Guten wrote Lightning Technology for Stage Technicians and regularly publishes in journals such as Proscenium, Step Magazine, De Vertevan, Zilchen, and Prosen. He supervises the RITCAS Stage Technique students in their individual three-year research project. As part of the Podium Arts Expertise Center, he examines the history of stage techniques, education, and competence management, sustainability, and safety. For his engagement, he is involved in international policies projects such as Theatre Europe, Sinofest Prague, Waka Waka, European Social Dialogue, CNART Romania, the Oistat Timeline Working Group, ETA, and Creative Skills Europe. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Chris Van Houten. And we are we are live. And I want to say this is uh, one of my uh, one of my favorite people, um, uh, someone who I want to get uh, on the show right away. Uh, this is uh, Chris Van Houten from uh, from Belgium. And he is one of the, the, the folks that helped really get me motivated to start the, the archiving technical theater history group, the idea. And I am thrilled, 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 thrilled to, to have him here sitting across from me via, via the magic of Skype uh, on, this, on this cold, rainy, snowy day here uh, on, on New Year's Eve. So welcome, 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 welcome. Thank you. Uh, first and foremost, uh, it would be great if you could kind of uh, introduce yourself to the, to the, to the audience. Uh, some people may not be aware of you or familiar with you, so just a, a kind of a brief introduction. Okay. Um, I'm Christian Guten. I started a very long time ago, the previous century to be exact, uh, uh, to work as a, well, first as a rental technician, and then after a while I got into theater and I learned my trade on the floor because there was no education at all. Um, uh, after a while, uh, I started a, a freelance company and this ran a little bit out of hand because at one moment we had like 100 people working for us and that was not exactly why I had planned to do this. And at that moment, somebody asked me uh, to start an uh, education program. Uh, well, in fact, two education programs in the sense that I started one education program for unemployed people, kind of retraining in Antwerp, Sabatini, 
And at the same time, I started uh, the rich uh, uh, stage management technical theater uh, department at the University College in Brussels. So uh, I got uh, by mistake into education. And after 10 years time, uh, because I'm more like of a starter, I like to start up things and then leave them to somebody else. Uh, I got more and more involved into research and research in a, a quite wide area is one part is about everything which has to do with competence, competence management, how to reorganize uh, education in a different way, how to structure uh, functions and that type of stuff, which is rather theoretical and rather boring if you look at it from the outside. On the other hand, of course, the, the technology of theater and more and more I got into uh, the, the history of the theater also. And then we started doing all kind of uh, research uh, on uh, the history of technical theater, but with a focus on, um, how to say, with, with, with the starting point of the technician, in the sense that we look at history not from a historical point of view, but from a, a, a technical point of view. And quite a nice example of that is the research we did on uh, the Baroque machinery, where we looked at all the sources, but then we looked at it from a point of view of a technician, in the sense that we looked at, okay, how did it work? Did it really work? Uh, and if we look at it from a, the, the, the now, the point of view of now, uh, what would be the, the way uh, we look at it? So one of the, the results of that was a, a quite a large study about the ergonomics of Baroque machinery compared to the ergonomics of what we have now. So with this historical research, but a lot focused on the the practical side. So now the, this this study into into machinery. This was you you started this with uh, a mutual friend uh, with Jerome, or was this or were you introduced to the machinery first, and then you met Jerome? I'm I'm speaking about uh, Jerome McElberg. Yeah. Well, it, it's a, a little bit double in the sense that I was already quite interested in that, but Jerome gave me, me the, the concrete uh, trigger to start with it in, in the way he organized this uh, congress about uh, wood and canvas and rabbit glue, mm -hmm. which had a double function on one hand, uh, bringing people more, uh, making people more aware of the possibilities of, of uh, this uh, machinery. And on the other hand, a concrete focus on the, the machinery of the Burla Theatre, which is one of the last main city theatres that still has the full wooden machinery into the, into the theatre. I was already looking at this, and I was already working on this, but the, the fact that he needed something concrete for this, uh, for this Congress made also that uh, I really focused on something that I was able to show. Was there... Uh something in particular about the way that the mechanics worked that appealed to you? Uh, or was it an efficiency? Was it, what, what about the, the machineries? Because one of the things that I have had my eyes open to is just watching those pieces move. Because for a while, to me, everything in, in stage mechanics was everything above the stage. You know, it was everything that was in the air. And when I got introduced to the, the mechanics that you've shown me and Jerome has shown me and of uh, things coming from underneath or coming from the side, that really changed my perspective about the presentation style. 
Yeah. Well, one of the mo most important things for me is that is a lot of people have a, a misconception about this this machinery in the sense that the they know this machinery from Baroque theatres like the Drottingholm Theatre, the Chesney Krumlov Theatre, uh, that type of theatres, which are basically small castle theatres, and everything is done really manual, mm -hmm. which means that in some cases the, me the mechanics are a little bit rude and, and not really give the possibility to make very nice changes. But when you look at the big theatres, uh, they, they kind of functioned in a different way. They used Counterweights, not directly um, uh, as, as in a counterweight function, but in a in a function to make things move, which meant that you just had to break uh, the movement. You let the, the counterweight uh, uh, go freely, and you only have to break the movement, which makes that you can very make very nice smooth movements, even if you work with ten or twelve uh, wing sets and elevators and things coming down. Uh, from at, at the same moment, you really could make very nice uh, uh, movements with that. That was kind of a surprise to us. The uh, the the model that uh, that I, I've seen that you had the opportunity to work with uh, Jerome on the scale model of the of the machinery and things like that. What that helped solidify some of these ideas and bring to life the the concrete that these things are possible, and then. You, you've obviously been starting to 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 take it around and, and demonstrate it. Yeah, well, that's that's basically a, a bit the the way we research things in in the sense that uh, we built this model based on what we we knew, based on on paper research, based on the drawings of the Burla Theater, for example, and we made kind of an abstract model, so not dedicated to one specific theater, but more abstract, where we could start uh, experimenting it. It's, it's called a model, but it's rather big in the way it's seven meters wide and four meters and a half high. And the reason for that is we work more or less on a scale one to four, because at that moment you really have a feel of the, the, the friction is working, the counterweights are really working. While if you work in a scale model one to 20, you always can move stuff. It's one finger can move whatever you want to do. While on a scale one to four, you really start to, to get a feel on uh, how it works, does it work, uh, are there, where are the limitations, where are the problems. Uh, you really need to understand how the ropes have to go in a way that to minimize friction, you, you really can make the, the counterweights uh, work. And the first model we built, which was actually built by one of my uh, students, uh, the first model were all the separate techniques. Uh, after that, we, we looked at it and we built kind of a, a full model of a theater where we brought all the techniques together. Uh, and that's the one that has been uh, touring a lot, uh, that has been to Sweden and to Germany and, and so on. Uh, the next step now is that we're uh, working on the history of lighting and that will be in the same model so we can start combining stuff. Which uh, is... Which is part of how I got started in, in this whole process. But to, to get back to the, the model, the, I had the opportunity at the Oystat 50 event at, uh, in Cardiff to, to participate in working with uh, Jerome and some of the students there. And that was neat because, yeah, because you get to be in the model without having, you know, the, the 
either the constraints of it being so small or being in a place where everything's just too big to, to the, the, the mechanisms are just too big. So, uh, I, that would, that experience was great. I think, um, an experience like that is really important for, for not only the, the people who have been kind of participating in, in the arts for a long time, but as the classroom as well. Have you, uh, have you taken, uh, some of the, the those experiences and brought them into into your classrooms. Yeah, well, in the in the sense that uh, we started uh, two years ago uh, with a, a, a training on the history of technical theater on on a course a, a history course on technical theater uh, because it's quite funny is most uh, technical theater departments don't teach the history of technical theater they only teach the history of theater. And in the sideline, they tell something about this uh, technology. So we really introduced this now, and we, we're using the model also as a, as a teaching tool, because it's so much easier to show everything. Uh, it's even, in fact, the model is even better than visiting a theater, in the sense that if you're on stage of a uh, historical theater, you can't see the understage and the upper stage, and you can't see the ropes going everywhere. Well, in a model, uh, you can have an, an overview of the whole system and and how it works. And I, the, yeah. No, no I, I was going to say you uh, you. I think on the the RITCS uh, group Facebook or whatever you I saw a, a poster of a, of of a timeline on a wall that I think you're starting to to fill out. Is that yes? That's a. A, a long time project, in fact. It, the, the idea started like eight years ago when we uh, retaught a little bit the, the, the research and, and history commission of OISAT. And at one moment, we, we created what was called by mistake the timeline group because one of the ideas we had was the timeline. And at, at that time, I think nobody was ready to, to really work on that. Um, and then the, the, the whole idea of this is that if you put the whole history on a timeline, you start to see new things. You start to see new connections. You start to see new developments. You start to see coincidences. A nice example is that uh, when Apia was working in Hellerau, at the same time in the theater uh, in Dresden, which is, which is basically the same city, uh, Fortuny was working there with the the, the idea of a, a bowl, a half bowl shaped uh, uh, backdrop, uh, and at the same time, Rand was there and some other people were there, and you see kind of nests of innovation in in the way that these people are together in the same neighborhood, they meet each other probably, they see each other's ideas, and and suddenly things start to happen, and I think this is what is helps very much in this timeline is that you can put these people together at the same moment at the same uh, place and at that moment you start to see okay that's why why they did this or why or they influenced each other and and so on so that was the idea of this timeline i've done this a couple of times i've done this in uh, two schools in sweden i've done this once uh, in an employment course in brussels and we are working now with the same timeline uh, at the University College in Brussels at Ritz. Um, 
but the idea at the end is because it's so much information at the end is that we also will be doing this online uh, and then that would mean that your students and my students and students from all over the world could all participate in uh, entering new information about this history. One of the nice things in that is that if you're in Sweden, you look at the theatre technical history from a different point of view than if you're in Belgium. There's other things that are important, there's other things that are uh, more interesting or less interesting. So by working together with students from all over the world, it would mean that you get uh, a lot of new insights and a lot of new information. You uh, you said something that was kind of interesting earlier. You said you spoke about nests of innovation, of how uh, some people were working in, within proximity of each other, and it, it is one to believe that at some point they 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 crossed paths. They they somehow would have their 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 circles would have have interacted in some way and and with this timeline you can start to see the ideas or or where the influences may have been with uh with this project you you you've spoken about is this the new version of the nest of innovation in which now it's not just who's in the same town or the same region but now it's the whoever's in another another country or another another hemisphere where the real nest of innovation is not just whether or not you actually physically run into each other, it's how do I share the information? Yeah, I, I think it's it's this this the, the fact that you're physically together in some cases is still quite important in the in the way that if, if you go to a congress, the most important part is in most cases not all the lectures, mm -hmm. but the coffee breaks. And the the reason for that is that in the coffee breaks you you discuss with other people that are really into this subject. You can discuss uh, what I've said, you can discuss new ideas, you influence each other, and at the end you go home with a lot of new ideas, and a lot of uh, possible new paths, uh, new contacts, a new network. And, and, and that's kind of a mess. And the same happens online. If I look at the Archiving Technical Theatre uh, Facebook group, that's where people meet. And that's where they, they look and they say, oh, what, what do you tell that? That's quite interesting. And I see something in, in some cases, it's literally like, like Wendy sends, um, sets a picture of, of a set. And I see in the corner, I see a light and I think, what is this light? How does this work? Um, or you have a question, you, don't, you have an object, you don't know what it is. You put it on there and you get from all over the world, you get people giving you information, which leads you again to... Uh, a new path. So that's a, another way of, of working. And the the fact, the, the idea of the timeline is the fact that people are working together and can interact about what they are writing from each other uh, will make it all a lot more rich. That is, is one element. Mm -hmm. And a very practical thing for students is also, in most cases, you ask them to, oh, can you please write a paper about this or this or this? And then they write a very nice paper, and then we pack all these papers and we put them somewhere in a library, uh, or we, in the best case, or otherwise they're going somewhere in a shelf, and after five years they're thrown away. And all the work they've done, uh, all the possible uh, starts for innovation, are just put away. And my idea is if we would all group that together into one big uh, site that you can look at uh, in different ways.
it's it's stimulating for students it helps uh, people and because you already after a while you can start from a, a, a decent basis we will go to a higher level for for you know i i've had the 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 pleasure of seeing your your extensive library and i know how much you uh you enjoy the the the, the collection of books and i i could appreciate that too because I've started to, to to hunt the the eBay's and the and the biblio books and and things like that. You spoke about how um, some of the best papers end up in books. Uh, books are still necessary, I I believe. Um, what's your what's your opinion about the 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 you know the they when the when e-readers and tablets and all those things came about, they said, oh, this is going to be the end of paper-based books, and it's not. And um, I know that books, for me, still play an important role. But how do you still encourage people to be in, interested in, in the information that is still hidden within all these, these fantastic books? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, a bit double. I think one of the things is that books will survive websites in the sense that is I was looking at the source list I, made for, I was making for the website. And I figured out that like 20% of all the links I had were gone. The sites were disappeared, uh, were gone. That, in fact, is the scary part for me on, on electronic information in the sense, I think we, if we go on like this, uh, we will know more about the Roman time than we know about the last 20 years. Because it's very hard to make a proper archive of digital information, especially with interactive websites that are not really existing. You're looking at the website, but in fact, you're looking at the, co the collection that is made for you in this specific place in this specific time. So you can't archive that. It's just bits and, and pieces of information, but it's not like a, a, a book has the advantage of having a, a logical line into this. And I'm, I'm not saying digital information is not interesting, but I think we really have to think on how we will preserve this information for the next 50 or 100 years. Do you, do you think then, as an outgrowth from your timeline project with your students, that eventually the students themselves will, after a year or so, um, as part of their project, create a self-produced, self-published collection of their works so that they can be libraried in, in, in some manner? Uh, uh, well, one of the possibilities would, would be, uh, but we're still, well, we're still uh, researching and tweaking how this timeline would look like. But you can imagine that if you put all historic facts we all know together on one timeline, you, you, there is so much information you don't see it anymore. Uh, right. So, it... so that, that's, that's a, a fact. The thing is, one of the things we want to do is create a good filter, first of all, so you can select based on I only want to see lighting or only want to see a certain country or, or stuff like that, or I only want to see what one group of students has done. That would be the first step. But the second step would be that you could create stories in the way that you would kind of pick out different facts and say, okay, this is a story. I'm telling the story of candlelight, for example, through, through history. And so in that way, the, the next step would be probably that you would kind of take all this information of one story and publish it as kind of a more or less finished book. 
Okay. That would be one way. Another way is that it, it's web entry, so the, the, the text have to be rather short and condensed. Uh, but in a lot of cases, students have researched a lot further. So the, another thing would be that uh, what they write uh, in more in detail would become kind of in the PDF version into that, but could also be published in a book at the end. The, uh, the, the, other, th the other thing that you mentioned was you're, you're now venturing into, into uh, lighting with the, the history. Where, where is that and, and what, what started to bring you into to that, particular, that particular field? Yeah, well, the, 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 the Fading Light project is, is a project I'm doing together with Anders Larsson from Sweden, okay. from the uh, Stockholm University of the Arts. Um, and we, did, uh, we also did together this, this uh, uh, project on Baroque machinery. The, the project on Baroque machinery at the end was about the, the language of, mo of motion in the sense that we, over the years, we developed a language about light, we developed a language about sound to explain how it works, how, it, how we want it. Uh, uh, we have a, a whole dictionary of words about sound and we figured out that there was no language to talk about movement, about motion. Reason for that is that in most cases, a set piece was somewhere here and then it had to move there. Uh, and we only described the beginning and the end, but we never described how does it has to move from one place to another. So that was the, 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 the starting point from that project. Uh, we always look at historical research in the idea of what can we, where can we use it for now. So it's not history for the sake of history, it's, it's history to be useful for now. So the, the reason for that was the automation that is going on in most theaters in Europe. It's okay, how can we use this, this different ways of, of motion, making motion on a stage, how can we use them now in a contemporary theater with automated systems. The same thing, uh, uh, the same type of starting point we had with this uh, Fading Light project. Uh, the reason was we're uh, forced more or less in, in Europe uh, to move towards LED sources. And LED sources are fine, but give kind of a rather different light than the traditional uh, incandescent uh, sources we use. So what we do in this project, we look at the whole history of lighting, but we focus on the moment technology changes. What happens when you go from candlelight to gaslight? Or what happens when you go from gaslight to electrical light? Mm -hmm. uh, and to learn how and how did people deal with that? What, what was the advantages uh, of, or what were the changes? How did they deal with it? How did they? How did it change the performance? How did it? And, and so on. The idea is to learn also about uh, how can we deal with L uh, the, the the changeover from uh, electrical light to LED light. And in, in, for some things, we found some quite interesting things. There is uh, Bram Stoker. That's the guy that wrote uh, Dracula, but also was the uh, uh, business director of uh, Irving in London. So he was very close to all these new innovations into the start of lighting. And one of the things he writes is that, oh, this electrical light is really an issue because if you dim it, it changes color. 
while gaslight, if you dim it, it just gets less light. It gets softer. Yeah, which is kind of absolutely the opposite of what people are discussing now, is that, okay, electrical light, we use the amber drift to, to kind of uh, change the color of our light, and with LED, if you dim it, it stays the same color. So it's exactly the opposite of, of what you have. That is one element. Another thing we found is that um, you, in most cases, when you change technology, you just put another light source in the same spot as you had it before. When they went from gas to electrical light, they just put light bulbs in the place where the gas burners were before. Right. It's only in the next generation that they start developing new stuff, that they start thinking, yeah, but why can't we put something in the house? Why can't we put something uh, somewhere else? So it's, it's always a kind of a two-step uh, changeover. The first step is just what we do now, which we make a piece or a Fresnel spotlight, and we take the light bulb out and we put LED in, but we didn't change anything. The next generation will be that you create new types of, of uh, fixtures. So the that's an interesting point you make about the replacement from... You know, just not not changing the physical location, but just changing the the source. That because I I I know, and, and you are probably more than familiar with this. Is you run you run across a designer who says, I know I want a light that's over there in a place that I normally don't. You know, there isn't a position for it. You know, they they want to create the position for it. Do you think that with with these this innovation of of LED uh, that whatever constructs that we that have been created i mean certainly there's front light back light side light all those 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 very fundamental things that you have to have but the the representation of those ideas is going to evolve primarily because of the source material that you're now using well <clears throat> looking back at the history one of the the things that is so fascinating on the hellerell theater where apia was working is that he didn't have a, have a light source. He had a wall giving light, which gave you a complete shadowless light. So he had kind of uh, walls and the ceiling, and there were every 30 centimeters there was a light bulb, and there was a, curt, a, a cloth in front of it, so you get not a light source, but you get an absolute shadowless light. Okay. Which is a thing that Max Keller later on also did in some of his performances but which is a very complex uh, construction because you really have to make a cage out of your stage, which is all light. Okay. With LED, we can do that quite easily. In the sense, it's, it's quite easy to make a wall that gets light. And I think that will be, the one of the main differences with LED will be that the objects will become lighting sources. I, I'm, I'm curious to know the... For the last year and a half, at least, I believe, there's been the, the, the save stage lighting movement that's been going on in, in Europe. Uh, and I was curious to know, what is your opinion about that movement and where is that today? Well, the, the, this, this whole, you, you mean the movement about the, the echo design uh, thing? Yeah, where yeah. They're, they're trying to phase out the, the, the quartz incandescent light sources and incurred or mandating essentially places to be more eco-friendly. Well, there is, there is a, lot of, a lot of things to say about this. 
first of all is that um, if, if you light uh, a living room and you miss part of the spectrum, that's not such an issue because you have different light sources and they, they, they compensate that and so on. And the, the way we, we use light as a material in theater is a lot more exact than what you would use in all kind of other ways of, of lighting because we're one of the only environments where we control the light fully. This also means that the, the, the quality standard we have about light, about the, the, the material light itself, are way higher than in 95% of the, the other cases. In an, in an office, it's not such an issue if you miss a bit of a spectrum, if the, the, if the color is a little bit colder or so on, but light is our language. That's right. one of the basic languages of theater. So that makes that we are looking way more critical to light sources than in almost other cases. Um, that, that is one element. The, the second element is that LED seems to be very eco-friendly. But the re and, and if you talk about the the, the foyer or the the, the the hall of the theater or so on, absolutely you should change to LED and find good quality of LED and that's fine. That's also a very eco-friendly way of working in the sense that these lights go on 7 o'clock in the morning when the cleaning uh, crew comes in and they go out uh, 2 o'clock at night when the, the night watch closes the doors which means they, they go for a very long time in a day. You, you get a very uh, high efficiency if you change uh, these lights. Spotlights in theater, they work like for half an hour, an hour a day, maximum. If you look at it, uh, the full span, because they're never always used. Some, some of them are only used for a couple of seconds. And they're eco-friendly in a whole different way. In the sense, a lot of theaters are equipment, equipment that is made 30 years ago, and that functions perfectly. So it would be kind of a shame to throw it away, replace it with equipment that is not only 10 times more expensive, but also uh, has a very much shorter lifespan. I, I don't think the, all the electronics in, in the, will survive for 40 years. So in that sense, it would be expensive for the theaters. It wouldn't really help the, the sustainability uh, and so on. Uh, so in that sense, it's the echo argument for LED into stage lighting is rather limited. That, that's one aspect. That doesn't mean that we should look into how can we make LED sources even better. Uh, but they're an other tool. They're not replacing what we have but they're an other tool, and ideally we should be able to use both of them at the same time. Now looking at the echo uh, line, it's, it's way more complex than we change LED for, uh, halogen for LED. Because one of the other things is, for example, that you only can have a, 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 how do you say, a rest power, so the, the power when your equipment is not used of half of a watt which is not very much, and which works fine for your television set because you put your television set on and then it takes like 30 seconds to start up and that's fine. But if I would do the same thing with a moving light and I have to wait 30 seconds to start up the moving light, that would be rather an issue during a performance because right. they say 
When the light is out, you should only have half of a watt. So that was a second issue that we only realized when we were looking into this LED uh, thing, that we realized, yeah, but the, all the LEDs we have now do not fit the regulation either. And we get into, there is physical limits that you can't pass at the moment. The, the, the people that uh, had come up with or, or put this out are, are, were people who are engineers, who are government officials, who are uh, what my, my, my question is about, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's one thing to, to, to say that, oh, we need to pass this law, we need to make this eco-friendly, but they tend not to, to ask the people who use this stuff on a regular basis. Uh, were I mean, how how much how many people who were the people that were consulted when they said this is a great idea and we should put it for everybody? Well, the first thing I have to realize is this whole legislation is not about theater light. This legislation is about everything that produces lights, which means your fridge, uh, street lighting, the lights of your cars, the light in the train, uh, the lights in hospitals. It's about everything that produces light. One of the problems they had, in, because this is not the first legislation we had on that. We had a previous ban on, on uh, traditional light bulbs. Um, and there were exceptions. One of the exceptions was heavy duty lamps were still allowed. So what happened is that suddenly every supermarket started selling heavy duty lamps. <laughs> because uh -huh. people, And they look exactly the same. They are basically exactly the same. They're only heavy duty and a little bit more expensive. So when they updated this legislation, they wanted to avoid, and in the previous legislation, there was an, um, an exception also for all theater light. Theater, entertainment, film light was all accepted. Um, in the next step, they say, yeah, but we want to avoid that all these back doors are, are still there. So they started to describe it in a more uh, technical way. So it's not specifically again against the theater industry or whatever. It's just a very general thing uh, about lighting. Um, then this whole movement came up. And then uh, the, the nice thing in Europe, it's easier to reach European officials than local officials. In the sense, we had a, a very good communication with the European employer organization and the European uh, labor unions. Uh, and they helped us to get directly to the, uh, the European Commission that was dealing with this. Um, and, and indeed, these guys are, are uh, engineers that think light in the sense they can, they, they think uh, efficiency factors, they think, uh, one of the things they do, for example, is they, they look into acceptance for an audience. So they make people look at a conventional light and an LED light, and if you're happy with both of them, then it's acceptable. Okay. Which is fine in your living room, which is not fine in, in, in a theater. So there were really engineers looking into that. But then the next step in this process is that uh, they asked feedback from all the different European countries there. And in that process, we were able to adapt uh, or, or adapt the legislation in a way that makes it possible for us to continue working but avoids the back door that we had before. Okay. And we lose some things in the way the, the, the long uh, or seven uh, halogen lamps, for example, we lose them, not because they don't want us to use them, 
but because they're the same type of light bulb that you use in your garden or your uh, garage or something like that. Got it. With uh, with 2019 coming up, uh, I know that you you travel extensive, you write extensive, you're always teaching, you're always on the move. What uh, what do you uh, have coming up in 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 the new year? And what is something that uh, you would like to to give some uh, some love to, so that people, if they if they want to go to an event or see something, what what is something that you would like to to, to let the audience know about? Well, the, the, there is different things. I think one of the most important events of the next year will be the PQ, and PQ is the the world's gathering of people that are uh, involved in, in sonography, but also in light, also in technology and that type of stuff. And that is really a, a unique event where I think everybody should try to come to Prague because at that moment, Prague is just theater. And the way you meet people, you, it, it's one of the few possibilities where you can really meet all your colleagues from all over the world. Uh, and discuss all kind of things, but also be active in the way in the long past, let's say the, before 2000, it was more like an exhibition. You went to the exhibition and then you had a nice dinner and that was about it. After that, uh, in 2003, uh, steered for a lot by Michael Ramser, for example, it became a lot more active in the way there were workshops, there were activities, were all kind of things going on. Uh, and the best way to, to meet people is to work with them. If you're together in a workshop for three days with people, then you really start to know them and friendship starts to appear and, and, and so on. So, and th that is also what, it, what is happening in this PQ now, is that there will be a lot of different activities. So if you go a week to Prague, it's a fantastic city, but it's also, you can, you can not only see the scenography from all over the world, but you can also experience it because all these people are there. There's students at the same time as the most uh, highly ranked uh, professionals are there and you can talk to everyone. And that's quite a unique uh, uh, thing to do there. So I think PQ is, will be one of the most uh, important things in, in the next year. On the other hand, and that's more... Uh, but one of the projects we are doing, I'm, I'm also involved in the ETE project, which is a European uh, health and safety certificate. Mm -hmm. And uh, which is what is different is that we didn't, most health and safety starts about, um, how to say that, it's about legislation and then they tell you a little bit how to work. And we say, well, in fact, you can work safe without legislation. The only thing legislation does is prove that you are working safe. So we made, uh, in the project the last four years, we developed a, a basic handbook for uh, students and one for teachers with really the basics, the things that we expect that everybody should uh, know on stage. And it's about uh, uh, being, taking care of your own safety, the safety of your colleagues, and then all the traditional things that everybody does, working on heights, uh, uh, fire prevention, uh, working with basic electricity, all that type of stuff. Uh, this, the, the project is finished, so the book is ready. And the second part of it is that there is, we developed a testing procedure, which is a practical procedure. So it's not about knowing, but it's about uh, being able to. We want to see people 
to uh, perform safely on stage. And we, it's a practical test. We, uh, the test is developed, but we're rolling this out the next year. So we, I hope when we talk next uh, New Year's Eve again, <laughs> uh, uh, this, this will be fully running and people will have certificates. And the nice thing is also that these certificates will be valid in the different European countries because mm -hmm. they're signed up by all the members of this uh, consortium. So that's the second thing. And then I think the, the third thing is I hope this uh, timeline project will be completely up and running the next year. So in a couple of weeks time, our website should be online. Okay. With some basic information uh, on it and I'll let you know. Um, and I hope by then that um, uh, we have people participating from all over the world in gathering uh, the information into this thing. So I think that's a good start for a year. I think that's a fantastic start. Um, I, I highly recommend uh, to, to the people that will be listening to this, the, to attending the PQ, because that's how we initially met. Because uh, it would have been a, kind of an email exchange and eventually, I, 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 we met standing in front of some building. You were out having uh, having your cigarette, and and it was just it's like, who is the, is this the guy? And uh, <laughs> and I have been thoroughly. It has been a fantastic, fantastic opportunity to to be your friend and 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 learn so much from you. Uh, so I highly recommend to anyone going to the PQ. The, one of the thing is the, the nice thing is that all the OISTAF meetings, most uh, working groups and commissions of OISTAF are also meeting, be it formally or informally, but they're also meeting in Prague in this uh, uh, time of the year. Mm -hmm. And if you really come from far, it's worth to go to the PQ and uh, when the PQ is finished to go for a couple of days to, um, I think it's Frankfurt where the uh, stage scenery is. Uh, it takes, no, uh, anyway, the German trade fair is happening because there again, there's a lot of things uh, happening that are worth uh, looking at. Well, I, I know for myself at this point, I'm scheduled to be in to attend the PQ and then go to that event following. So I'm, I think my entire month of June is 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 in uh, in Europe. Europe. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I know. I I'm, I look. I oh I'm looking forward to it thoroughly the uh the the but when when you get the uh the the, the websites and all the, the these projects uh, uh underway i would love to have you back on to so that uh we can catch up and we can kind of give an update to 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 the audience uh i agree with the with if you if you want to get involved uh you know, find your Oystat group if there's if there's one in your region. If not, find someone that's close. Uh, you know that that that's what as a as a person who is a member of USITT, we are we're we're grouped into to Oystat as well, and that seems to, and that makes it really easy. So you know, it's not like you have to join a bunch of different organizations. Uh, but, but yeah, no, it's it's been a it's been a fantastic journey. Uh, so I uh, I know that uh, we're kind of coming close to the to the end of this. Uh, my I guess my final final kind of question I'd like to ask is uh, with with all that uh, all that you've all that you've done all that you've seen all that you've uh, experienced. 
Why in the world can I not get you to come to Trinidad? I do not understand this. Oh, well, it's, I just need to find some time. <laughs> ah, but we, should, we, we will find a way in the next year or the next two years to, to maybe I just come and do a timeline workshop with your students. That would be fantastic. The, uh, I know that uh, I've heard from various people, some commissions, things like that. They're like, you know, we would like to have our working group down there or we'd like to have this commission down there. I say, bring it on. Come on down. <laughs> We, we would love to have you. We would love to have you. So the invitation is, is always open. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I, would, I, I, I can't stress enough that uh, the Trinidad and Tobago has a lot of, of commonality with the rest of the, 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 the performance world, but it also has its own unique flavors and, and the expressions. And I think people's lives would be really... Uh, enriched by interacting with 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 those folks so uh but again i want to say i thank you for your time um you've been a fantastic friend and i greatly appreciate it thank you for being on here uh and i look forward to to catching up with you in a few weeks few months but soon um hopefully before the pq and yeah, uh cool. and uh learn about where your your projects are then and there and also thank you for for uh for for Hane. Uh, she was fantastic. Uh, uh, I know that uh, she she is is traveling now or doing something, uh, some yeah, super secret project. Just going somewhere through South America, if I understand well. And if there is anybody out there that has good contacts or that lives in South America, just contact her because she would love to meet real people. <laughs> <laughs> we will we will make that happen. Uh, and uh, hopefully uh, 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 I can encourage students to, to apply to your school as well, the, the Ritz, because uh, I, I would love to, uh, like, I would like to come back and visit and, and, and see what's happened as well. Great. So we know what to do the next year. We do. We have a plan. Okay. <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy New Year, my friend. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Hey everyone, thank you for joining us on this latest episode of the podcast. Remember, this podcast is listener-supported, so wherever you get it, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. This podcast can be found on such platforms as iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Stitcher. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, we can be reached at archivett24 at yahoo.com. Again, that's A-R-C-H-I-V-E-T-T-24 at yahoo.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Archiving Technical Theater History. We appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.